You're listening to the Look Right Naked podcast. I'm your host, Eric Bach. This is the podcast for men and women who want to look right naked without living in the gym. If that sounds like you, then you're in the right place. Let's dive in. Hey, what's going on? Eric Bach here with the Look Great Naked podcast. And today I have a very special guest, Braden Barrett of Look Like You Lift. Braden is the owner and CEO of Look Like You Lift. He's a highly experienced and qualified strength coach with over 10 years in the industry, something we can all agree that is very much needed. In addition to being an expert coach, he has wonderful hair. But on top of that, he has had the opportunity to work underneath many of the best strength coaches in the world, gaining a wealth of knowledge in the areas of biochemistry, biomechanics, anatomy, strength and performance, and nutrition. His work has been featured on the Mind Pump podcast, Fox News, and ABC. Braden is committed to staying up to date on the latest research and techniques in the fitness industry and is always striving to provide the best possible services to his clients. On top of that, a personal antidote, Braden is one of the few people that I trust when I'm looking for my own information regarding becoming a better coach, a better practitioner, and understanding the nuances that need to be applied when looking at things like research. Today, we're going to do a deep dive into how to get bigger, how to look like you lift, and have a little bit of fun. Brayden, welcome to the Look Great Naked Podcast. Happy to be here, man. That was really nice of you. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. Like I said, man, those locks are glorious. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. Awesome, dude. So, you know, it's been really cool to get to get to know you specifically over the last probably 18 months or so, um, a little bit more with, um, you know, some similar business acquaintances and, and understanding, you know, the way that our business is run and, and seeing your content and your personal development and growth has been absolutely phenomenal. And so what I would like to do is just kind of kick things off and get to know a little bit more about you, right? Introduce yourself to the audience and tell us about your journey. How did you arrive here as a strength coach and providing such an incredible service? Yeah, well, so it all kind of started back when I was a kid. You know, I worked on a farm majority of my, my childhood, and then I realized I was kind of like the runt with all the other work hands, and I wasn't able to do very much. And so I, I knew I needed to get stronger to keep up with everybody else. So I started getting into that uh, outside of high school, and then I really had a passion for teaching other people. And so like, I, I always loved just teaching other people how to do things, whether it was swimming, snowboarding, anything that I knew how to do, I loved teaching other people how to do it. So I found that I had a more, I had a greater passion for teaching other people how to get strong than, than I was getting stronger. Around that time, I was getting into competitive powerlifting, did really well at that. And then I had a great opportunity to train under some of the world's strongmen in the sport of strongmen. Anybody who doesn't know what strongman is, it's probably one of the dumbest sports you could ever do. <laughs> like, how much weight can you lift? How fast can you lift it without completely blowing out your back? I had a great opportunity to work with them. I got really, really strong with them and placed in Utah's Strongest Man. Became very strong, went to the national level. So it was great. And so that was kind of like the backbone of where my strength training came from. I took it further with that. And I interned under some great strength coaches in my area. Uh, went down to Texas to, to work with some strength coaches there. So yeah, it's strength has just been the name of the game for, for a very, very long time. Uh, and that's kind of what, and so I don't know how far you want to go, but in my efforts of getting as strong as possible in strongman, I also got pretty fat. You know, I, uh, <laughs> yeah, you've probably seen the, the strongman and the powerlifters of the big bellies. That was me. And, uh, the bigger I got, my strength wasn't linear with how much weight I was gaining. In fact, I, my strength started actually going down. Energy started going down and I actually started becoming pretty unhealthy, high blood pressure, sleep apnea, insulin resistance, uh, just to name a few. So I realized, all right, something needs to change here. And so that's when I shifted years and I learned, uh, again, from more professionals, how, how do I lose weight without losing all this hard-earned strength that I spent years developing and ended up losing about 65 pounds of fat, 
and only lost a little bit of strength at the end of it. Most of the strength came back once I refed. So uh, that's yeah. how Look Like You Lift came to be, is teaching people you can be strong and you can look good at the same time. Uh, and that's, that's what we do. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's crucial. You know, a lot of people want to, uh, you know, you say look like you lift, I say look great naked. And ultimately that aesthetic component is for many people, the initial driving force. And we're going to get into some of the nuances and some of the specifics because something that you mentioned is incredibly important. And that is how getting really fucking strong provides such a huge foundational piece. But before we jump into that specifically, one thing you mentioned right away is growing up being the quote unquote runt, um, something I can also relate to. You know, when I was 14 years old, I was five foot three, 103 pounds, five foot two, 103 pounds. Sorry about that. And, um, you know, I remember providing less resistance than a blade of grass during one particular football practice where I got absolutely trucked when I could have been outran. Right. And one thing that I think is crucial for people to understand, especially today, where um, I think a lot of people look at early events in their life as the trajectory for everything else. In your case, you took being the quote-unquote runt, not having the strength to really fulfill what you wanted, to be the version of yourself that you wanted to be. And instead of letting that define you, you let that propel you, right? You took an obstacle and you put that probably pain, mental anguish, some of those aspects that come in when you're not satisfied with your body, your physical capabilities towards learning how to be fucking strong and how to build a great body and how to build these aspects. And I think it's so important for people to understand how to turn what your pains are into a passion. And in many cases, especially in the world of modern social media, people look at the quick results, the quick wins, some of these aspects that you can really jump into without understanding that your journey started taking place probably what, 13, 14, 15 years old and not having, you know, elite level genetics to all of a sudden look like you're chiseled out of granite. Um, it's a 10 plus year process for, for many people to get some of these incredible results and to understand that process of what goes into it, I think is something that's so, so crucial. So hat tip to you and uh, you do an incredible job of, you know, highlighting the duration and, and what it actually takes within your content. So I just wanted to, uh, to note that aspect. I think it's so important. Yeah. appreciate that, man. Thank you. Yeah, of course. So you got into powerlifting, you got into strongman, and you got strong as hell, right? And so let's talk about building that strength foundation. You know, one thing I think is so crucial is understanding the role that strength plays, not just in, of course, lifting heavy weights, but in building your physique. Can you expand on that? How is strength a foundational component that most people are missing? Yeah, so we believe that strength is the most important physical attribute that you should be working on. Because when we can improve strength, overall force production, all other physical attributes improve. Rather, your your efforts to improve those other physical attributes improve. So if I think of, let's say you got to like load your lawnmower into the back of your truck. If I, if I can get your deadlift up to 500, you're going to more easily load your lawnmower into the back of your truck. Getting you to run 20 miles is not going to carry over into that. Vice versa, I can, if, you, if we can get you stronger, you can run faster. If we can get you stronger, you can cycle harder. If we can get you stronger, you can jump higher. So mobility, stability, agility, balance, even body composition, all other physical attributes improve when we can get you stronger. So that's why we have such a huge focus on getting on strength training. And I sound like kind of a broken record when I talk about getting your squat up, getting your deadlift up, because those are fundamental. Those are foundational and people kind of get bored of those exercises, but I have yet to find a lift from the major barbell lifts that has a greater ROI than those. So that's why we focus so heavily on strength. Yeah. I mean, that's 
crucial. You need nailed all the key points. Like strength is a foundational component that boosts every other physiological capability. And so I think back to my, you know, my early days in training primarily for sport, you know, undersized guy trying to get bigger, stronger, faster for football, for track and field. And the biggest thing that I did, you know, and I've seen how this has helped me later on in terms of building my physique has been building that foundation of strength, getting really strong in those compound exercises. And now as a coach and, you know, as a fellow coach with over 10 years of experience, I'm sure you see a lot of people who come to you struggling to build the body that they want. And then you get them into your coaching program and you see what their technique looks like. Uh, you see what kind of weight that they're moving. And for example, you know, maybe it's a, you know, a man who's been training for 10 plus years, 29, 30 years old, and his bench press is still around his body weight. Right. And a lot of people get carried away trying advanced level training tactics. I see a lot of, you know, body part splits with insane amounts of volume and constantly changing exercises before really reinforcing and building those skills of strength. And what happens is people chain, you know, chase some of these exciting looking coaching programs and so on and so forth. In my case, in the very beginning, it was chasing, you know, whatever was in muscle and fitness or the old school muscle magazines with way too much volume and not enough load. And you kind of miss the cart for the horse. And so what's important to note is, yeah, that initial phase of, of building as much strength as you can can play such a huge component. And Braden, I mean, not even like to humble brag, but like, what are some of your lifts just as a, as a comparison for people to understand? Like, what could you do maybe at your peak? and a deadlift and what are you doing now even though your primary focus is a little bit more on the aesthetic component while maintaining as much strength as you have yeah so it's been a long time since i've i've tested my one rep maxes in in the major lifts but uh off the top of my head my max dead was like 565 my max squat was 520 and then my max max bench was 405 yeah those were all unassisted. Those were unequipped. Um, my major strongman lifts, those are more fresh off the top of my head. The most that I ever log pressed was uh, 330 pounds. And then wow. the, lo- yeah, the, largest, <laughs> the largest stone that I was able to lift was uh, 320 pounds. So the Atlas stone, those giant concrete balls that you've probably seen, lifting one of those about 330 pounds. And then we've recently shifted gears into more of a bodybuilding style. I haven't really done any testing. However, we did an active re- we did an active rest just a few months ago and I was supposed to just, you know, get in, do some light work. And I was like, you know, I just really want to test my bench. Let's just see where it is. And without even trying, without even doing any kind of like peak or anything like that, I I was able to do like a one rep of like 365 on the bench press. So yeah, um, that's kind of where I am. But then those are like a long time ago. So I don't know where they would be now. Yeah. But I think what's important to note there is like you're not training for that max strength anymore, but much of that has stayed with even though your training changes based on that foundational aspect that you built. You know, just as a like another example for those listening, you know, I'm not the biggest guy. I walk around about 180 pounds most of the time. And, you know, at one point I was deadlifting 500, squatting 450, bench pressing 335. You know, not going to win powerlifting meets necessarily with those numbers. However, even though I can't necessarily hit those now, they provided the foundation. And when it comes to building a body that looks like you lift, to looking great naked, when you factor in these components, when you get stronger, let's talk about the muscle building aspect, right? Like when you can recruit more muscle fibers by building strength, you can fatigue more muscle fibers. You can do more work with these fancy different types of of training modalities that you see. I mean, is that a huge carryover aspect that you see directly with the people that you help? 100%. So right now, uh, you, you mentioned like muscle and fitness magazines. Over on TikTok, we're seeing a lot of the same things that we saw in the magazines where people get 
get really, really excited over the hyper-specific, nuanced, like, angle of the humorous in relation to the bag, you know, all that bullshit. But the problem is, the lo- these guys are so young and they're so new, the load that they're using with these hyper-specific exercises is not enough to, it's not enough to grow. So if we can use just some, a simple example of, like, a, a dumbbell fly, like a, a, a dumbbell, like, bench fly, someone who can bench press, like, 100 pounds probably is only going to be able to use, like, 15, 20 pounds for their flies. But if I can get your bench up to 250, 275, now you can use a much greater load on the fly, which makes that exercise way more effective. So um, even from a muscle building standpoint, from a specific hypertrophy standpoint, getting you stronger Im- improves your efforts in those other exercises. I'm not saying that they're wrong. I'm not saying that hyper-specific programs are wrong. It's just not the time and place yet if you haven't built your foundation. Oh, that's such a key component, right? And so, you know, one thing I've been talking to a lot of my clients about is this difference between knowledge and wisdom. And what we're seeing now, and you mentioned TikTok as an example, and you've got a great following at TikTok and you provide, you actually provide context on TikTok, which is very difficult to do while still holding attention. So, yeah, you definitely have, man. You do an incredible job. And the difference that I like to say with knowledge and wisdom is, you know, Right now, knowledge is more more accessible than ever. People can gain a ton of surface level knowledge, specifically in the realms of health and fitness. What people are lacking, though, is the wisdom to know how to apply it. So essentially what is happening, people are collecting all these tips, all these ideas, all these exercise variations, but they don't have the experience and the wisdom of actually doing the work to understand what tools apply at what time. And in general, this is leading a lot of people to having a lot of knowledge and thinking that they know what they're doing and doing the right thing but yet not having the results to show for it, right? And it can be incredibly frustrating and it's turning a lot of people off actually to fitness as a whole. That's one thing I'm really seeing where people are feeling dejected, um, nothing works, you know, eroding trust in the industry for many different reasons, but that being one of them and not quite knowing where to go, right? And so one thing that I've seen you talk about quite a bit is studies and how so many of these quote unquote evidence-based coaches and practitioners will jump on a study news jacket in terms of a content plan and try to base all their programming directly on it. Can you elaborate on that a little bit of like what I'm referring to and the problems that that creates? Yes. So it happens all the time where a fresh study comes comes out and because it's new, because it was done in a laboratory, all of a sudden it's gospel and people take it way too far. And I call people out for this. What happened last year, I don't know if you saw this, last year on TikTok, there was a small handful of big fitness names. Fresh study came out saying that the overhead tricep extension exercises are useless for developing the triceps. So all of their content for the next week was why I will never use the overhead tricep exercises to work on my triceps and then they refer to the study i can't make this up literally two weeks later two weeks later a new study comes out saying that the overhead press exercise overhead tricep exercises are the best for developing (laughs) so they all quietly deleted their videos and kind of like like shut up about it and it was it was beautiful to watch i i wish i would have like screen grabbed their their content to show guys this is not how it works so the issue with individual studies is trying to base your information and base your knowledge and wisdom off of individual studies, you're not going to get very far. What we need to look at, there, there's kind of three things that we look at when we're determining information for, for clients. Okay, we have we first have the principle, we have the application, and then we have the literature to support it. So what's the overall 
overarching principle that we're trying to get by? And then do we have empirical and anecdotal evidence to prove this? And then with this, do we have literature to back it up? Now, we may not have literature to back, we, we see this with like bodybuilding, how bodybuilders have been doing things for decades that have worked very, very well. And just now sports medicine is starting to discover why it works. So I think Stan Efferding was the one that said that sports science is, a, is it's not sports science, it's sports history. Cause it, it, it's always about- No doubt. It's about 10 years late to what's actually working. So a lot of the concepts that I talk about in my training, studies may not show that it is 100% efficacious, but now we're starting to see it come around. So. I think in in order like there's a hierarchy we still want to use literature to kind of back up our claims but I don't use it as the foundation of my work and I think it's dangerous to do that I don't think any logical trainer or coach or any kind of professional in this field would use literature to back up everything that they say yeah no doubt and that's a huge issue that I see you know, particularly as this industry grows faster and faster, the barrier of entry seems to not necessarily be accelerating either. And we're now anybody who can read PubMed, who can look at studies, who can, you know, regurgitate something else that, you know, another coach, influencer, researcher, doctor says can easily, easily grow a following and start putting stuff out there without the actual, I hate this term, but I'm going to use it like time in the trenches to see how it actually works, right? We're not actually in trenches. It's not fucking trench warfare. It's coaching people literally to get stronger. But yeah, I mean, the overall idea here is you have to consider what most studies are. What, 17 college-age males who are, you know, drinking vodka, Red Bull all weekend, eating macaroni and cheese and, like, protein powder? Like, come on. Like, if you look at the majority of studies and what's actually going on there, there's not enough time frame to actually consider past training, past histories, all the other components that really go into it. As an example, and I'm sure you have something similar, but, like, when I'm when I'm coaching somebody, I'm looking at sleep. I'm looking at recovery. I'm looking at overall stress factors. I'm looking at training history. I'm looking at nutritional history. If I have blood panels and stuff like that going on, that gives me a little bit more insight. I'm, I'm taking all of these different components into play when it comes to designing a program and keeping that programming in alignment with what we're doing nutritionally. So to take something that's done in a vacuum for two weeks and try to apply it across the board because it's the hot study that everyone's talking about, it really does coaching and health and wellness and fitness a massive disservice. And it's not that it's not important. It's it's just that you have to ask yourself, how does this actually play out in the real world? Is this truly applicable? And it can help guide some actions, but it just can't be done as gospel. So where do you find, yeah, yeah. Kind of a, I mean, I always like to use this example, the the cyclist study. So there was a study done, I can't remember which university it was, but they wanted to see, I think the study was more satirical than anything, but uh, they took a, a series of, of test subjects and they wanted to increase their their, their bench max. Yeah. So they, you had one group that was done an actual, uh, did an actual bench press program and another group that did a cyclist program. They just cycled. They just hopped on a bike and they just did a cyclist program. Their bench press increased. So does that mean that we should start cycling more to increase our bench press? No. And, and it shows how poorly done a study can be. And that should be taken into account. Yeah, that's a great example. That is a great example. Well, let's dig now a little bit deeper into the muscle building aspect, right? How to look like you lift. And you've talked about your your personal shift a little bit from powerlifting and strongman towards more of a bodybuilding aspect. I see that with a lot of coaches. I definitely have a lot more bodybuilding principles than what I do now, now in my mid-30s and having some mileage on my body. And let's talk muscle building principles and applications. How can somebody actually look like they lift? And to give you more direction here, let's kick it off on the training side of things. Like, What do you typically recommend, let's say somebody 30 years old who's been training for 10 years, but 
they just don't quite have the aesthetics that they that they're looking for. Um, training volume, like frequency, days per week. Like, what are some baseline parameters, and we we can dig in from there. Yeah, that's a big, big question. So what we have over here is we have a pyramid, and we call it the muscle building pyramid. So at the base of the pyramid are your 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 big fundamentals. Like these are the things that are going to give us the greatest ROI. And then as we move up the pyramid, this is where you're getting stronger, you're getting bigger, you're becoming more becoming more advanced. These other principles become more important to drive progress, but they do not over they they do not supersede the the, the foundation. So at this base foundation, it's full body training. It's the barbell lifts. It's just focusing on max production. So we'll use a lot of rep ranges between like five and eight. We really like the number five. And so when you kind of ride that out, that's when we kind of move up the chain and we'll bring in more volume, higher reps, and move from a more full body split into a more hemisphere style split. So we'll do like upper lower. We'll ride that out. We'll kind of max that out. And then we'll move up the chain into a more uh, movement pattern splits so like a push pull leg split and we move the chain and then at the very very tippy tippy top we've got body part splits okay most people will never get here i'm not there yet so most people up here they're like 15 20 years of hard training and intelligent programming before they need to be up here uh, again for reference i'm not even here yet so that's kind of like our chain of commands that we do with people so regardless of where they come from unless we've truly like kind of maxed out their efforts in a full body split in getting their max lifts up uh we'll start there and then you'll you'll be surprised like you say hey i've been training like 10 or 15 years like i know what i'm doing okay cool let's just try a few months of this and see what happens and i see this all the time where if we can just take a few months of doing like a full body split we get some huge returns from that so why would i do anything different and so we'll start there and then we'll kind of move up the chain does that does that kind of like give you a framework of yeah yeah, that's a really good framework, right? And that's something that's really nuanced and I think important because you mentioned the triangle. I love using triangles in terms of creating demonstrations because it really reinforces the foundational component, which is strength with big compound movement patterns, right? And the height of a pyramid is dictated by the size of the base. And this kind of comes back to our original discussion. So the bigger that base is strength, the more all this other awesome shit that you can do, like really works. And that's the exciting part. So yeah, when you're you know, when you're strong, when you have that foundation, it's incredible. Anecdotally, which is one reason you'll see people who maybe played a lot of sports, strength-based sports, football, so on and so forth, can actually become very high-level bodybuilders because they have such an, like a crazy level of strength, muscle fiber recruitment, and actually skill in executing different lifts. When they can start to apply it in different ways, then awesome. Then they can really optimize their physique. And I think what we see, yeah. I mean, I'll use my own anecdote of, of my own pyramid. I did my first bodybuilding show back in August. First time ever competing, ever stepping on stage. And I took first place in two categories, took second in two, and then I like placed like five or six. Like the two. Yeah. But I firmly believe the reason why we did so well after just one year of bodybuilding style programming is because I had that 15 year foundation of being very, very strong. So I totally agree with everything you just said there. Yeah. Yeah. And what's crazy though, I think most people take to invert it, right? They start with the bodybuilding stuff and then they kind of struggle with where they're at. And it's like, oh, maybe I need to be doing something different if they get to that point, you know? And that's a really interesting aspect. And I had a really good thought and it just slipped me for a second. But what I want to talk about is actually total body training and hitting that five to eight rep, rep range. Why is it important to train particularly like total body where you're hitting movement patterns multiple times throughout the week and hitting a lower rep range of say five to eight? What does that do in terms of creating tension and when you get the volume high enough to create enough stress to build muscle. So the way I like to explain this is let's think about reps on a spectrum. So 
What is the least number of reps that you can possibly do? One. One. Zero. One over here. <laughs> and the most number of reps, we'll say the most amount of reps that we can possibly do that's, that's, that serves a purpose, we'll say 20 to 30. We'll say 30. Okay. So we have this spectrum of 1 to 30. And we know that different adaptations happen here than they do over here. Okay. Over here, we have maximum force production. I would even say the ability to display your force production is over here at 1. Over here at 30, we have muscular endurance. Okay. We have mitochondrial efficiency. So what is in between? What is the middle of 1 and 30? Now, mathematically, you're going to say 15. But physiologically, it's around 5. Okay, we yep. see a beautiful blend of all those muscular adaptations around 5 and 8. And that's why we really like the number 5 is because with an untrained individual, we have an opportunity to practice form without burning out. <laughs> around five yes. for muscular hypertrophy, muscular endurance and force production. We, we get a beautiful blend of all these adaptations at the number five. Now, is that going to work all, forever? No, it's not. But that's again, just the foundational number that we can really harp on. And with basic programming, we offer our free sticky note plan, which is a plan that I've used for a long time. And we just give it out for free. Number five, like it's three sets of five and people get really good at doing their fives and then we can branch out from there. So that's why we really like the number five. Yeah. And you know, I think one of the beauties of some of the lower rep training and again, personally, I'm naturally somewhat of a lower rep guy and speed power, you know, strength focused, you know, to my soul, but from the coaching perspective of having people improve the way that they're training, you don't have a ton of metabolic stress, AKA the pump really coming in where form can deteriorate. Right. And for a lot of people, the first way to progressively overload any exercise is to improve form. And I can tell you collectively, you know, training for 15 years with clients, um, you know, training at a commercial gym on, on occasion just to kind of see what's going on and, and enjoying myself, right, is technique is still something that nearly everybody struggles with. Hell, when I have another coach look at my technique, I'm sure you could find something where you're like, Eric, you know, you're slipping right here a little bit. This could be an improvement. And those slight adjustments can make a huge difference. And the best way to notice those slight adjustments is actually with lower rep training, where you can keep your focus on how well you're performing that. So I think what you've, you know, what you've decoded right here and your foundational principles with this pyramid, it's, it's brilliant, right? Like success comes from the ruthless execution of the basics and we can execute these lifts consistently and get them better. It creates such a foundation to make everything else worth it. And so what are we talking training? Total body three, four days a week, give or take on the individual. Is that what you recommend? Yeah, yeah, full body. So uh, a lot of guys in, the, in their beginner programming, it'll ha they'll be squatting three or four days a week, pressing three or four days a week, and deadlifting three or four days a week. So like kind of, again, we'll use the sticky note program as an example. So I call it the sticky note plan because the whole it's so simple you could fit the whole program on a sticky note. And we just give it out for free because it's that, it's that effective. And the more guys we can have with their foundational strength, the more effective our coaching can be. But anyway, so it's, it's basically... It's a, it's an AB rotation. So yep. you're, you do a squat, bench press, deadlift, row. The next day it's a squat, overhead press, deadlift, chin up. Right. So you're, you have a squat, you have a press, you have a deadlift, and you have some kind of like upper bo uh, upper back uh, lift, and you just rotate those. So yeah, you are squatting three days a week, which is more than most people squat in a month. So, <laughs> no doubt. And, but we see, and and you're you're so new and you're so novice to this that this works is it going to work when you get your squat to 400 pounds and you have to squat more than 400 pounds the following day no probably not but again this is that
that foundation that's going to allow for us to make any efforts more fruitful later. So that's kind of how that structure. Yeah. Again, I love the, I love the simple, straightforward approach. And you know, something I did last year, and this is somewhat of a connected topic here was I had some total body training, right? And so what we did is we changed up just the type of loading pattern. So for example, again, it's a little bit more advanced, but one day on a bench press, it could be more of a speed dynamic aspect. The next time was, you know, a longer eccentric. So we had a five second eccentric with a two second pause in my chest. And then the third day would be like a classic strength rep where maybe I'm hitting up to about 85, 90%, but it's, you know, down in two seconds, explosive and way up for sets of three to five. Right. And so just because you're squatting on Monday doesn't mean you can't squat on Wednesday. Sometimes what you just need to do is vary the way that you execute that exercise and by adjusting the tempo, the load, all of these components, you're creating a different physiological response while reinforcing the movement pattern. And when you get more proficient with that technique, that over time is how you can really start to make some of these really nuanced adjustments that help you build the muscle. And I think that's something that not a lot of people talk about, right? Because you have to build the skill at executing an exercise first to be able to go from a place of, I look like a drunk baby giraffe trying to do a squat because I've never done it before to, hey, can you focus on really pushing your knees out, engaging your adductors, your hamstrings, your glutes in the bottom, and then actually squeezing your quads at the top? These are really nuanced things that you can only do once you have mastered that movement pattern itself, right? And so that's where the beauty comes from getting really good at these compound exercises and getting better over time. So you've probably heard the argument that deadlift is not really good for building muscle, right? Yeah. You've heard that. So <laughs> um, I was in the gym just a couple of weeks ago and there were a couple of kids in there and you can kind of, I don't know if you get to, the, I, don't know, I don't know if you've experienced this, but you can tell what content they watch by what they're doing in the gym. Yeah. So I, I knew what TikTok follower they followed based off of what they were trying to do. So <laughs> they were like, you know, 13, 14 year old kids. And yeah. They were trying to do a barbell row and they couldn't do it. It looked more like a bent over upright row. You know, they just, they just, yep. they just, no hip hinge pattern, huh? Yeah. There, there was no hip hinge. They'd have no idea what a hip hinge is. Right. So I went over there and I said, Hey kids, can I, can I help you out? And this is one of the problems with not understanding how to deadlift, how to squat, how to press first is when you try to do these other optimal exercises, you just don't know how to move. I mean, these kids didn't know where their lats were. These kids didn't know how to feel their lats. They didn't even know how to get in the right position, probably because they've never deadlifted before. So it, it makes all other efforts completely fruitless. And talking about practicing form and how important the compounds are, that's another big reason is it's going to teach you how to move, <laughs> like teach you how to actually control your body. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I have movement checks with every client before they come in, you know, they're required to send over videos so I can look at it. And again, you know, even people with a lot of time in the gym and they're doing things better than the vast majority of people, the many people still have a struggle with differentiating between a hip hinge pattern and a squat pattern. Right. And so for example, the idea on a squat, is we have to have a slight bend the knees, pushing the hips back to create more of a hinge motion than dropping the hips down with a lot of knee flexion. And so when most people end up doing a squat, what happens, they're like, hey, I should lift with my legs. This has always been sound advice from when I'm trying to pick up furniture and help somebody move. Well, the reality is this idea of trying to save your back because you're dropping your hips on something like a deadlift, it actually pushes a bar a little bit further out and creates more stress on your spine. And so like, it's a really nuanced aspect. And if you can't do something like a hip hinge, you're gonna struggle to be able to get in a proper position for a bent over Row, which can be a great exercise for a kettlebell swing, which you take a kettlebell swing with bad form and throw a shitload of fatigue and high reps, then you're asking for injury. 
right? So getting these foundational movement patterns is so crucial because they allow you to do every other exercise that much better because the kinesthetic awareness that you have and just the overall better like patterning and so on and so forth that you're going to have for every other exercise. Nailed it. Yeah. So let's kind of pivot off of the training aspect and let's talk on the nutrition, right? Like what's a simple, straightforward way for somebody to focus on building lean muscle. And again, let's kind of keep in mind, we'll say like 30 year old, you know, somebody has been training for 10 years, maybe not necessarily correctly, but now they are following your system and really getting that full body training dialed in first. What would you recommend on the nutrition side? On the nutrition side, it's actually, uh, we, again, we try to keep it simple. I like to focus more on micronutrient density of food than I do the actual composition of calories. This is, I actually made a post the other day kind of talking about why uh, why the fitness industry is kind of bastardized if it fits your macros. Yeah. Because a lot of people think of like, if it fits your macros now, it's pizza, Pop-Tarts, and pasta, and protein shakes, right? Yeah. <laughs> what we want to do, and, and the reason why people like to focus on the macros is because there's three of them. but we believe that the micros are just as, if not more important. So we have a series of foods that we like to keep in the diet, and then we'll scale those uh, with with the ca- with calories and macros based off of those food types. So, and, and well, we can start with protein. Um, I believe that you should be getting in at least one egg a day, at least one serving of red meat a day, and we like to get one serving of salmon once a week for omega fatty acids. So yeah. That's on protein. As far as carbs are concerned, if we're talking about muscle growth, uh, you're probably going to need to increase calories. So we love white rice for this. Uh, white rice is very easy to digest. It doesn't bloat you, and it's easy to get a lot of it in. And you, when you eat white, I mean, you talk about sushi, like you can eat a shit ton of sushi. Yeah, man. Get your salmon, get your white rice, you're all set, right? There you go. Yeah. So we like white rice as our as our primary carb. Uh, fat sources, you'll probably get a lot of your fats from the red meat and the eggs. But uh, I try not to scale saturated fats past that. Uh, I don't want to unnecessarily increase saturated fats. So we'll use avocado oil, we'll use nuts, nut butter, and then fruits and veggies, like all fruits and veggies are good. I'm not going to say that. Yeah, just crush them. Yeah. Just eat them. But we will prioritize certain veggies because again, they don't bloat you. And when you when you have a lot of food, the biggest thing I want to avoid is getting you bloated and making you feel uncomfortably full. So the veggies that I like to do is um, cucumbers and carrots and spinach. Spinach is very, very nutritionally dense. Figure out a way to get that in. Yeah, saute that, boom. <laughs> yeah, dude. And then fruits, we really like oranges. So we'll have an orange with each meal, again, for the micronutrient density and for its effect on the liver and the thyroid. So that's kind of like the composition of the diet and then from there we just scale proteins carbs fats when it comes to the actual how many calories do I need to grow you're gonna need a you're gonna need a surplus what I've learned from strongman is you don't need a huge surplus a moderate surplus is gonna be fine so if we can aim for a half pound to a pound max weight gain per week that's gonna be fine so that's kind of like the structure that we like to follow yeah I love that I love that. It's very simple. It's very straightforward. You know, there's this idea of fat loss foods versus like muscle building foods. And the reality is, you know, want to focus on minimally processed foods, high protein, get the best quality food that you can in terms of sourcing. And it just comes down to titrating what you're having up and down, right? You know, I always tell tell my clients, I'm eating the same foods where I'm trying to get lean or build muscle unless I'm doing something where I'm doing like a very short-term low-carb phase, which I will mix in sometimes at the start of a fat loss phase or at the very end. But again, like there always has to be an off-ramp to do 
doing something like that due to the long-term effects of really restricting carbohydrates and calories together while training. Um, that's another topic that we, we could jump into, but let's see where it takes yeah. us. But Well, yeah. So, and that, like you mentioned it, like, so those foods that we have, we use for muscle growth, the same foods we use for fat loss. The only difference is instead of like ground beef when the calories are high, I'll swap it out for just steak, just a, just, you know, sirloin steak because the chewing and it, it, it slows down your eating. It makes you feel more full. So it's the same foods. It's just, you may eat, eat it and, you know, make it a little different. Yeah. I mean, actually that's a key principle, right? And like dive slightly into fat loss here, but if you want to be able to lose more fat, if you can make foods that take a little bit longer for you to eat and then fill up your stomach with high quality, you know, micronutrients without adding a ton more calories, that's going to be a very simple way to feel full and satiated while restricting calories. So for, yeah, for fat loss, I mean, it could be as simple as let's increase the amount of veggies that we're having right here. Let's change the composition potentially of, of the, the red meat and how it's prepared. And that itself, again, we have the chewing component. It takes a little bit longer. We have the satiation signals. It can take about 20 minutes to go from your brain to your stomach and back um, to really signal that fullness. And that makes a huge difference, right? So it's like, you don't have to reinvent the wheel just because you're changing goals. It comes down to to just changing the amount that you're having in potentially the preparation method just slightly. Okay, now the underlying component that most people I believe miss the boat on, and we're gonna pair these together because they work in such an important component is gonna be sleep and recovery. And something I've heard you really rail on, and I think with good intentions, and I think nailed it spot on is some of the issues with, with caffeine and in general overstimulation that people have. Um, let's talk about kind of the link between maybe caffeine, stress, and sleep, and how that can negatively impact muscle growth. Yeah, so we have our hierarchy. We have like a five-pillar hierarchy. The very top of the hierarchy is sleep. So we have sleep, stress management, overall daily activity, nutrition, and training. Okay, so I take sleep more seriously than my training and nutrition combined. So like that should paint a picture of how important it is. I'm really not a fan of caffeine, primarily because of the downstream effects it has on sleep. So we know that caffeine has a six hour half-life. So if you take 200 milligrams of caffeine at noon, you have 100 milligrams still in your bloodstream at six, which means you still have 50 milligrams in your bloodstream at midnight. That's going to play a huge role on your slow wave sleep, okay? your deep restorative phases of sleep. Well, I don't feel any different when I have caffeine at night. Well, you may not feel any different, but according to the numbers, and if we were to like throw a tracker on you, it's probably not gonna look very good. Yeah. You probably don't feel any different because you've been so fried for years. You're just kind of numb to not, you, you probably don't know what a good night's rest feels like. Yeah, no doubt. So I really, I really don't like caffeine. If you need it, I, I would be more inclined to take it when you've had a rough night, when you have a long day and you just, instead of like relying on it every single day. Because if you're taking it every single day, you're already desensitized anyway. So it's not even doing you any good anyway. So yeah, that's kind of my uh, vendetta against caffeine. Yeah, no, I get it though. You know, I mean, personally, listen, I'm a caffeine hound. Um, it's something I have cut back on. I spend a lot of time working in coffee shops. I also understand the downstream effects and try to cut it off by noon. And if I'm taking a pre-workout, it's stimulant free for that same exact reason, right? And so like, you know, caffeine is one of those things that we have to consider. Anything that ramps you up, I mean, it does create a stress response. And so that stress response on top of potentially being stressed out, so you've got young kids, you've got a demanding career, uh, maybe you're stressed about the overall state of the world, whatever's going on. Like you have to understand that this is something else that might provide a little bit of a band-aid and a jump in terms of energy, but it can actually create the root problem that's preventing you from making progress. It can make it worse, particularly if you're having caffeine later in the day and it compromises sleep, which sleep compromises 
fucking everything, right? And so when it comes to sleep, like talk about that role. Like what does that do in terms of the overall muscle building process? How crucial is it? Well, sleep is the uh, only anabolic steroid that is not only legal, but it's free. So sign me up. (laughs) (laughs) And there's no health side effects to this anabolic steroid. (laughs) But yeah, all of your recovery and adaptation physiological protocols occur when you are resting you've probably seen well you need so if you have a handful of oreos it takes you know 500 jumping jacks to to burn off those calories well did you know that if you want to burn off a big mac you just sleep seven hours like that's how like yeah sleep is not an inactive thing things are happening you're just subconsciously turned off like that is a very active role so sleep is so vital to your growth that if you don't get in your sleep but you're training six days a week you're stepping over $100 bills to pick up nickels. And we've seen this every single time where we take clients, we prioritize sleep, we maybe cut back on their training a little bit and move their pre-workout, either take their pre-workouts out or have it in the morning. All of a sudden, their efforts are more fruitful. They're, they're, they have a greater return on their investment of energy. So yeah, it's crucial. <laughs> yeah, you know, if I got a nickel for every time I had a client that says, I know what to do, I'm just not getting it done. And then we get the ball rolling in terms of training, nutrition, make a few small tweaks there. And then we dig into stress management and sleep and recovery. And we emphasize that all of a sudden it's like a light bulb turns on and everything starts to grow. Lifts go up, people get bigger, people get leaner. And it comes down to a couple aspects, right? Like we have the hormonal implications. Every single hormone is likely going to be improved when you're improving your sleep quality, right? So we get people looking for test boosters and all this shit, wasting a ton of money on things that don't really work for the most part anyway, when they could just go to bed a little bit earlier, stop scrolling TikTok, unless you're looking at Braden's channel and getting really good education late at night. Um, I'm sure he would even tell you to stay away from that. And in addition, right? Like think of what happens when you're tired, when you're fatigued. I don't know about you, but if you take me and give me five hours of sleep at night, I can be as disciplined as I want, but if I get to the end of that workday, it's been stressed, my toddler's going ape shit, I don't have good food in the house, I'm not going to make the best decisions, even if I know exactly what to do. And we can probably all relate to instances where that happens. And so if you want to be getting better results from all the work that you're putting in, not just physically in the gym, but with your work, with all the other things that matter to you, optimizing sleep is absolutely absolutely crucial. And personally, that's been the biggest thing that I've emphasized over the last couple of years. It's made a profound difference, not only my physical health, but my mental health. You know, it's, it's, it's unreal. It's unreal. I think, I think the problem is I can't sell that to you. Like I can't, I can't sell a product to you to get you to sleep an hour or just to, to go to bed earlier. Like, so I think that's why it's not talked about is because I can't sell that to you, but also it doesn't feel like you're doing anything. This is the whole reason why people don't want to fix their diet to see their abs, but they'll do a million sit-ups to get their abs because they feel like they're doing something. They feel the burn. So like they all of a sudden think they're doing something to help that. I think that's why people don't focus on sleep because they're not, they don't, they don't feel like it's doing anything. Yeah. You know, one of my mentors, uh, Lauren Landau taught me early on, it was like, listen, feel doesn't mean real. Right. And a quick example, that would be, yeah, spot reduction on your abs, just because you feel that burn doesn't mean it's creating the necessary adaptation that you need to be able to create it. Right. Like anyone can do a, a set of a hundred lateral raises with two pound weights. My shoulders would be burning. It doesn't mean it's going to create the necessary response to build bigger shoulders. Right. Because there's not adequate tension for it to really create, you know, an adaptive response. And that's why understanding the underlying principles of changing your body is so important, helps you delineate the bullshit from what is actually going to be important and what's going to work. So I love that. All right, man. So you put out an excellent post, saw this one recently, and it's like the top types of personal trainers and influencers to avoid. Um, You do an excellent job of calling out the bullshit without being in just absolute prick. (laughs) 
<laughs> because there are a lot, like, listen, there are a lot of people who are great in this industry in terms of their knowledge. And I can't look at their content because it's like incessant bitching about everything without providing value, context, and nuance. You provide context, value, and nuance when you call something out. So let's talk about what people should look for and what they should avoid when it comes to personal trainers, coaches, and influencers when they're consuming content online. That's a good question. I think probably the biggest thing is, are you truly learning anything from them, from their free content? I think that should be like the, the first thing that you look at. Are, are, are you learning? And like we, both your content and my content, I like we, in our marketing, we say that my free shit is better than your paid trainer shit. Like we have guys in our Discord who are having incredible transformations just from our free stuff. So I think that's the first thing is, are you learning anything from them? The second thing is, are they trying to sell you any like secret system that they discovered? Look, there's no secret systems. <laughs> there's nothing secret about anything that, that is out there, right? It's so if it's coming across as salesy is coming across as like marketing probably is it's, it's probably just snake oil the third thing and I, I hate to say it it's age so if it's a if it's a 16 if it's an 18 year old kid who's fresh out of high school who just paid 200 bucks to get an open book test to become a trainer he probably doesn't know anything he probably has a few book smarts but how is an 18 year old kid who still lives at home who has never been fat or unhealthy in his life supposed to tell you how to get healthy and how to get your and your life in gear so I hate to say that but I I do think like age is a qualifier. I do think it is uh, yeah. it plays a role. So I think those are the three big things and I'm sure there's more, but I think those are like the three ones that you can pay close attention to and kind of figure out, discern if they're going to be a good fit for you or not. Oh, last one, last one. Um, I think a good coach will have a qualification process. So if a coach is just looking for a cash grab, you can just sign up for their program on their link tree. And we see this on TikTok. You can just click on yeah. with a couple hundred thousand followers, buy my coaching program. Boom. I pay a thousand bucks. I'm in their coaching program. They didn't do any screening. They didn't do any intake form. Whereas with us, I had a follower who said, damn, I've like applied for jobs where I asked them to give me money that was easier than this. So yeah. I think your coach, if they, if they are interested in actually helping you and making sure it's a good fit, they have some kind of qualification process in place. Yeah, I think that's a crucial aspect. You know, um, we talk to a lot of people based, you know, through our DMs, through emails and all these aspects and people who are coming in and with our process as well. We want to hop on a call with you. It's not because we're trying to hard sell you anything, but we first have to know if we can actually help you and if you're a good fit for us, right? Like coaching has to be a mutually beneficial agreement because if you get somebody in your coaching program, we've probably all had this as coaches, you get somebody in and if they are not the right fit and you kind of make an exception, you fucking know it like right away. And you're like, why did we go down this road? This is going to not help either one of us. It's probably best that we part ways. And there's no way a lot of times to get there without a qualification process, getting to know somebody a little bit more. And frankly, if somebody isn't willing to hop on a short call to provide information needed so we can objectively give them the best direction possible, like if I get somebody on a call, if they're not going to be the right fit for us, I'll still talk to them and give them some advice, but I'm not going to try to sell them. I'm not going to highlight what our services are necessarily. I'm going to be like, this is what I would focus on right now. Put this into action and let me know if you need any help in the future and go from that point. But I think, yeah, just having no barrier, like to me, that says you're just going to get a repeatable system that hasn't been refined, that isn't nuanced, it isn't going to be you know, providing anything that you need to truly get the results that you want. 
right? And the unfortunate downside of that, not even unfortunate downside, but like the opposite side of that, like, yeah, there probably is a financial investment and a cost in getting that coaching aspect because it requires skills and expertise in order to provide that in a way. And so I see a lot of people will, you know, they'll hire a coach who's fresh out of school and be like, hey, yeah, I got this online trainer for, for $97 a month. This is great. Now everything else is too expensive. Well, the reason you're seeking another coach is because, you know, buy nice or buy twice. Like you got shitty advice and now you're getting burnt by it, right? So it, it, it does pay to find somebody who's qualified, who's really going to, yeah, have you maybe jump through a couple of hoops to provide more information, maybe hop on a call because that's what's going to give them the best information in order to potentially help you if you are the right fit, yeah, right? And I think that's making sure that you're, that you're the right fit. We, I mean, we get on calls all the time where it's like, we're honest, this is not going to work out. And if anything, they're appreciative of that. They're like, thank you so much. And it's like, yeah, I don't want to take your money if I'm not going to right deal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, man, definitely. Uh, we could probably go on with uh, aspects in the fitness industry. It's been been really, really crucial. Something that just popped into my mind here is, you know, what do you feel like is the importance of having that experience working with people in person before going online? Like I know one person, all the people I know in the fitness industry who is not an in-person coach first, who I think does a really good job. I don't know any. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> let's face the fact, Eric, everybody wants to become an online coach because it's easy. But I think that you need to earn the right to call yourself an online coach. And the only way that you can do that is by working in person with people for a long and again, you might have the book smarts, but as a professional, it is your job to translate those book smarts into application for the client. And you will not learn that from watching someone and just sending chat messages and just sending over programs. You have to be working face to face with someone to get hands on and giving tactile cues to fix somebody. And there are lessons, there are invaluable lessons that I learned working with in-person clients that I could never learn from a book. Uh, and I use them to this day. And so we even encourage like, so it's uh, look like you lift. It's not just me. It's like uh, we have three other coaches and I encourage those three other coaches to continue doing one-on-one -on -one coaching because they're going to continue the lessons that they learn from our system. They're going to carry over into their one-on-one -on -one and it's going to pay back. They're going to learn things from their face-to-face -face that's going to carry over into our business. So it's invaluable to be working face-to-face. -face. I mean, I'm even at a point right now where I, I'm all one on one on one or I, I'm all online. I'm more on the business admin side. I don't really do much coaching now, but I just want to work face to face with a couple people a week just so I can stay fresh because I feel myself like getting rusty on my cues. For sure. Like that's how important it is that someone who's been doing it for over 10 years still wants to go back to doing face to face. You're really not, you, you really can't tell me that a kid who's never worked face to face with someone is going to know more than me when I've been doing it for 10 years and still feels like I have to go back to the gym. So it's, yeah. it's valuable. And there's so much nuance. And I think one of the important things that you learn, and this comes a little bit back to the social media aspect where everything right now is like the shortest clip that you can to get the view and it might provide some interesting aspect, but there's no nuance. And, you know, I've been very fortunate to have, I've had a number of clients now for over 10 years, right? And they were in-person clients now and they've been online clients you know, since I've made that transition and to really create like substantial behavioral change with people. It's not just like, here's a quick tip. It's gradually shifting thoughts and beliefs and habits and actions over the course of time. And that can only happen in understanding that process can only happen when you experience it really in person to create those shifts, especially if it comes with something like technique and having somebody feel the difference between doing something correctly and incorrectly. And I just think that's something that can't, it can't be replaced. And I want to talk, from, about, I want to talk on that because I just yeah. had a message come in from, 
from TikTok. There's a girl who said, hey, I need to lose about 90 pounds. Do you have any tips? It's like, what possible tip can I give you to lose 90 pounds? Like to lose 90 pounds, it's going to take two years of a steady feeding of tips and conversations. Like it's not just like one thing. Oh, all right. Now I'll lose 90 pounds. This is going to do it. You know, <laughs> right there. And so it's, that's not what's going to happen. It's going to, it's a conversation that lasts for a long, long time. Yeah. I mean, that's so important. Yeah. I think back to my client, Jenna, you know, um, worked with her about nine years ago now at this point and it's nine years and she's lost and kept off over 130 pounds, which has been absolutely incredible. Like huge hat tip to her for doing the work, but the work in person was 18 months, two to three days a week you know, paying in-person training fees, which is not, not a cheap endeavor, but the results are definitely worth it. But it just takes that gradual shifting. And again, kind of learning that process in person with somebody starts to equip you as a coach with the skills to know how to start transferring them over and how people are going to react and the lifestyle and all these different aspects that really become incredibly crucial for creating sustainable long-term results. Now, Brian, how has your training, how has your approach to fitness, or maybe even your perspective changed since becoming a father while having a business that's more less growing pretty quickly. Yeah. <laughs> a lot has changed. So my son is 12, 12 weeks old today. He's three months old today. So I've learned that I have to take my time management way more serious. So before I had a baby, I could get away with, oh, I'll, I'll get to my thing in 10 minutes. Like I, I, you can procrastinate a little bit and still catch yourself on, like you can still save yourself. You can still get your stuff done. But I found that when he's taking a nap and I'm like, oh, I'll get to it in 10 minutes. Well, 10 minutes later, he's waking up. And so like, I have to like, I'm way more careful with my time and I take my time more seriously. But I've also relearned how important it is to put value on my sleep again. So again, when you're just, when you're by yourself, like you can, you can prioritize your sleep pretty easily. But when you have a kid, now I personally understand how tricky it is to to take care of your sleep with a new. Um, in regards to the business, I, I'm actually pretty lucky because I wouldn't say lucky. I mean, I've had to work for this, but I have a lot of team members who they're all on the ball and we have a lot of systems in place. So me stepping away to take care of my son really hasn't slowed down the business at all because everybody else is just on all cylinders. So yeah. I really haven't seen much of it slowing down. I've just seen that it's just, you know, my time is just a little more. Limited. It's different. It's just different. Yeah. And I'm just learning as I go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I think like one of the cool things, and this is a, a business lesson that applies to health and wellness and anything else, right? Is you know what your restrictions are for time. And as your business has grown, you've hired people to bring, bring in and take on tasks that maybe weren't your zone of excellence per se. And say, for example, you know your time is worth 200 bucks an hour. If you can bring somebody else who can do that same amount of work for $100 an hour, it opens up one hour of time and saves you 100 bucks, right? That overall mindset perspective that was taught from some of my business mentors to me has been like transformative both in my business, but also like my decision-making process. Like, for example, that's how, why I use a meal prep service. Might have a cost, but you know what? If it saves me 30 minutes a day and helps me stay on track, something I don't have to think about, awesome. Well, it buys me back two and a half hours a week and I can make a lot more money in that two and a half hours and I can pay in a meal prep service, you know? And so it's like, yeah. Now that you bring it up, one thing that we did implement after we had Theo, uh, we hired a, we hired a house housekeeper. Yeah. So she comes in every other week to clean the house and that was awesome. Like that's, you know, she pay her like 200 bucks per time that she comes in and cleans, but it is, I don't, I don't miss that money at all. It's so worth it. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I worked a landscaping job in college and there's no way in hell I wanted to do landscaping again in my house, especially in South Carolina, where right now it's like 109 heat index. I'm like, you know what? We're going to pay somebody to do that. It's going to save me time, open up that time, save my hay fever and allergies, um, which basically murdered me for you know my entire youth <laughs> and uh, open up that flexibility. Awesome. Hey, Brayden, two final questions for you. One, what's the secret behind that meal prep brisket? 
<laughs> low and slow. Low and slow, baby. All good things take time. Yeah, dude. So, I mean, my brisket, I'll start the dry brine about, so a 12-hour dry brine, and then I'll smoke it, and then I, ju- I just smoke it at 225, and then I'll, I'll, I'll wrap it at 160. But from start to finish, it's a, it's a day and a half before I can eat it. So, but it's, you will not have a more tastier meal prep than meal prep brisket. And brisket's actually really lean. Uh, if you just trim a little bit of extra fat off of it when you're, when you're putting it together, yeah, it's pretty lean. When I'm cutting, what I'll do is I'll just do the, I'll just do the flat. I won't do the point. I'll just get the flat. And that yep. right there is like 95.5. So low and slow, dude. It takes a long time, but it's worth it. Hey, low and slow, a little bit of time with that meal prep, and you can eat like a king and look like a fucking god. So awesome, man. Well, Brayden, where can we find out more about you? Yeah, we're all over Instagram and TikTok. Look like you lift. Um, we have our free Discord uh, where it is. We have over 3,000 members right now. and It is pop- Wow. Like we we have so much free stuff that we just give away for free information that we just give away on the Discord. And so uh, we have our me and my coaches. We answer questions. It, it kind of runs like a forum. So if, if you just drop in a, a topic for our forum, you'll get a plenty of really good answers and people to help you out. So that's where you can find us. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here, guys. Thank you for joining the Look Right Naked podcast. Catch you next time. Hey, it's Eric here again. Now there are three ways that I can help you look great naked. Number one, if you want to grab a free copy of the Look Great Naked Protocol to help you lose body fat without counting calories, then go to bachperformance.com backslash free training. Number two, if you're a busy guy looking to build muscle, then I recommend checking out our Minimalist Muscle Blitz, which has helped over 1,000 men build muscle without living in the gym. Just go to minimalistmuscleblitz.com. The link will also be available in the show notes. Or number three, and last, if you want to work with me directly and get the best results possible, apply at bachperformance.com backslash coaching to look great naked without living in the gym. Until next time, my friend. 